In one of the poems that he wrote intended to be set to music, he asked some probing questions addressed to those who are living at ease in Zion. We are tempted to be such people, to live at ease in the Zion of affluent and materialistic America. But Isaac Watts posed these questions to us. Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace, to help me unto God? Probing questions. This world, by that I mean this present order of things controlled by satanic principles, this world is no friend to grace. We too easily forget that and become companions of the world. We tend to neglect what James clearly states, friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Those are serious words. You and I live in a world order that allures us with its prosperity and mesmerizes us with its luxuries and amusements. God wants something more of us than that. As persons committed to Jesus Christ, as men and women of God, it is expected by the Lord that we will not make it our aim to be friends with the world, that we will not make it our goal in life to share in the world's values, that we will not seek the affluence and luxuries that the world seeks. God expects that we will live differently than that. That we will see this life as an opportunity to serve Him and not ourselves. But what does it mean to serve God in a world like ours? How do we serve God well in this world? In this world with this environment where we frankly don't feel much need for God because we have so many things. In this world where we have difficulty finding obvious reasons as to why we should leave our pursuits, our fishing, to follow Jesus Christ. 
serving well, serving God well in a materialistic, moneyed society means taking up several positions, several postures, if you please. And those are explained to us in our text today, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you, in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Notice with me the three postures, the three positions that we must take if we are to serve God well in a world like ours. First, God's servants must flee ungodly motives. There is a time to run. Sometimes running is cowardly, but there is a time to run. Joseph gave us one example, didn't he? And frankly, so did David when he wisely fled from Saul's presence. Here in this text we see that it is wise to run, that is to flee, from sinful, ungodly motives like those that control the false teachers that Paul has been warning about. To live with the motive like they had of personal gain for one's own enjoyment is ungodly. Now I want to make it clear that it's not a bad thing to be rich. God blesses some with wealth. Nor is it sinful to work hard or to make money in an honorable way. But what we have to be on guard against is allowing money to become our motivator. We have to be on guard against money love. Greed is a major motivator in our world. It drives people to do things they would never think of doing otherwise. It causes them to sacrifice their marriages. It causes them to neglect their families. It causes them to be unconcerned about their own health, of body or of soul, to sacrifice their character, and to wander from their faith. Greed is a popular motivator, and there is none more destructive we live in the Mecca of materialism, the United States of America. 
Our nation is considered the promised land by nearly everyone in the world. On our recent trip to the Middle East, I talked to several individuals of several ethnic backgrounds who said to me that their goal in life was to come to America and to make money. How does it make you feel as an American to hear those kinds of words and for people to think that that's what our nation is about? But what else are they to think when all they know of America is what they see produced in Hollywood? We live in the Mecca of materialism. And we fall danger, into the danger, of the false religion of money love. Those who live like the some people that Paul mentions in verse 10 of this chapter, those who love money, who love money rather than God, those who fall into those categories place themselves into great danger. For they, seeking to set their course toward becoming rich, wander from the faith and pierce themselves through with many griefs. What a tragic, tragic way to live. Listen to the words of this song. It is a song. I have a son, a little son, a boy completely fine. When I see him, it seems to me that all the world is mine. But seldom, seldom do I see my child awake and bright. I only see him when he sleeps. I'm only home at night. It's early when I leave for work. When I return, it's late. Unknown to me is my own flesh. Unknown is my child's face. When I come home so wearily in the darkness after day, my pale wife exclaims to me, you should have seen our child at play. I stand beside his little bed. I look and try to hear. In his dream, he moves his lips. Why isn't daddy here. That song was written in 1897. A hundred years later, it's only gotten worse. We, as people who name the name of Jesus Christ, must flee wrong incentives, those motives that are ungodly, that cause us to sacrifice those things in life that are truly valuable. Those motives that cause us to waste life from an eternal perspective. We learned last week that godliness governs how we appraise things. May our God-centeredness cause us to appraise things rightly and never to put them in the place of number one priority in our lives. Why? Not only because it's sinful, because it leads to a life of multiplied sorrows. 
We must allow the Holy Spirit to sift through our motives regularly, lest any of us become deceived by the hardness of our own hearts. Why is it that we are so vulnerable to the love of money? I believe at its root it's because we have conformed ourselves to the secular worldview. The secular worldview promotes the value that the only reality there is is here and now. There's nothing after this. And that is not in our doctrinal statement, ladies and gentlemen, but it is in our life's statement that we believe that. That is why we begin with this urgent word from the Apostle. That we must flee these things. We need to run from them. We need to run from them. To serve God well in a world like ours secondly means taking the posture of following after other things. For God's servant must follow godly traits. Notice he says, pursue. And then he lists six qualities of life. To pursue means to track down these things. It is a word that would fit well with those of you who love to hunt. For it's the word of the hunter who is tracking his quarry. It means to chase after these things. So while on the one hand he says, if we're going to serve God well in this world, we have to flee ungodly motives... We must also follow after godly characteristics, godly traits in our lives. There are six of them listed here. Righteousness is the first. We are to follow after, we are to pursue and hunt down righteousness. Righteousness refers to integrity. It means adding to our lives the character quality of doing what is right before God, whatever the price. Being a man, being a woman of personal integrity. We are to hunt down godliness. We're to bag it. Godliness means to live with God at the control center of our lives, or as one other writer put it, it means to practice the presence of God. It means to see God as part of my everyday routine. To realize that what I am doing, I am doing in His sight. That keeps God in the very center, the control center. We're to pursue godliness, and with it we're to pursue faith. Faith means to trust God. It means to allow Him to prove Himself in our life circumstances. I mean, if you've got a credit card, why do you need to wait for God to prove Himself? We can provide so much for ourselves in this materialistic world. How difficult it is to pursue faith. When we do, it means that we're going to stop worrying when we bag faith, it means that we're going to stop getting angry at God because we don't get our way. 
It means we're going to stop complaining. And we're going to learn to rest in the arms of omnipotence. Pursue faith, and with it love. Love is that which seeks the welfare of others, even those undeserving. Love seeks no payback. Love gives no thought of personal gain. It's just the opposite of money love, which is all about gaining for oneself. Love means I give of myself to others. I am to follow after love and to pursue perseverance. Perseverance means holding steadfast under pressure and adversity. When I see this word, I think of a man like John Bunyan, who merely because he was a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he would not compromise his message, was taken away from his family and put in the jail in Bedford, England for 12 years. 12 years of his life and he endured. And oh, what purpose God had in that, for in those years he wrote his classic Pilgrim's Progress. He pursued and found a perseverance. Perseverance means when life is tough, we have the courage to continue on in the right direction. And then gentleness. Gentleness almost seems out of place in a macho world like ours. But gentleness we are to seek. It means to treat others with courtesy and reasonableness. It is the opposite of a contentious spirit. Someone has defined it as power under control. In our world, if you have power, use it to get your way. In God's order, we have power that is under control. And it expresses itself in gentleness, a sweet reasonableness in our lives. Now looking at those six qualities, can you imagine being married to a person like that? Neither can your spouse. But this is the sort of life that God says we're to follow after. We're to be disciplined about it. We're to work hard at it. This is the kind of a life that pleases God. And you know why? Because it's the kind of a life that Jesus lived. Our problem is like a new hunting dog I read about. The owner was eager that uh, he might test his dog, and so one day he took him out hunting, and before he knew it, his dog was tracking down big game. He had picked up the trail of a bear. And so the hunter followed closely behind, excited, and then the dog stopped and sniffed the ground again and headed off in a different direction. Whereas he followed that track of the bear, a deer crossed the path, and so he followed the deer. And then a few moments later, he halted again, and this time he was captivated by the scent of a rabbit that had crossed the path of the deer. And so on and on it went until finally the breathless hunter caught up with his dog, only to find him barking triumphantly 
down the hole of a field mouse. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is in our pursuing after godliness? We, we go after it hard and then this comes across the path and then that and then another. And before we know it, what we're pursuing is small game. It's mice. When God says, go after the big stuff. And so, if we're going to serve God in this world, it means that we have to follow godly traits. We have to pursue them, hunt them down, and bag them for ourselves. May God give us a deep heart desire for that. Third, the third posture that we are to assume if we would serve God well in this world is that of fighting. There is a time to flee, there is a time to follow, and there is a time to fight. What does it mean to fight? Well, the word here is rich with connotation. It is an athletic metaphor. It means to get into the ring and to do your very best against your opponent. It's a military metaphor that means to fight against your enemy. From it we get our English word agonize. What he says here is agonize the good agony. It means to carry on a contest or to, to strive or to struggle, to do your very best to win the cause. And what is our cause? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is doing everything that we can to see that the truth of Jesus is proclaimed to our generation. That's our cause. That's our mission. That's the good fight. And so he says that we are to agonize in, in that. We are to go after it. We are to strive diligently to see that we win the prize. The Apostle Paul uses this same concept in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you want to look back there for a moment. He talks how he is willing to accommodate his own life for the sake of hearers who don't know Christ. He says to the Jews, I'm willing to live like a Jew. To a Gentile, I'm willing to live like a Gentile. Verse 22, he says, To the weak I have become as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I by all means may save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Do you see the same kind of idea here? He is saying, I am willing to do whatever it takes in order that the gospel of Jesus Christ may be preached. Now, he's not talking about doing sinful things. He's not talking about compromising righteousness. But he is talking about whatever is secondary, whatever is non-essential, he's willing to give up in order that he might be able to communicate the gospel to people where they're at. 
And he says, therefore I run. And he goes on to say, I beat myself black and blue. Now, he didn't mean that literally, but he meant he was disciplining himself. So that he might win the prize. Do you care if you win the prize? Paul says, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. And the point of it all is the advance of the faith against its enemies. That is, the spiritual powers that seek to blind people to the gospel. The fleshly weaknesses, the worldly hostility that is against the gospel. You see, we're in a real war. Some of you are too young to remember the Vietnam War. That's hard for me to believe. But some of you read about it in the history books. It was such a part of our lives for a number of years. And yet, it was only the demonstrations in America that seemed to bring the war home. It's easy when war is over there to almost imagine that it's a game, that it's not real, because you're not in it. It almost seems imaginary, but that didn't make Vietnam any less real. There was war. There was war. And sometimes we almost play at this thing of advancing the gospel. You know, it's sort of, well, yeah, sure, that's what we're supposed to do. That's, you know, sure. We believe in missions. We believe in evangelism. Sure, people ought to give out Jesus videos, but that's for somebody else. I, I don't have time for these things. It's not my concern. The apostle says if we're going to serve God in this will, we had better well take note that we're at war. And the cause that we have is the advance of the gospel and the whole world system is opposed to that. And the devil is opposed to that. And our own fleshly weaknesses are opposed to that. It's a fight. But he says, fight the good fight. Do it. Get involved in the fray in order that the war may be won. Now how do we do it? Well, he tells us to take hold or to get a good handle on eternal life. That doesn't mean that we get a hold of it to have it. It means that we have it. Now we're to get a hold of it. We're to use our position in Jesus Christ. We are to, to take the authority that he has delegated to us in hand. We're to understand who we are in Jesus Christ, what our position is in prayer. The power that he has given us in the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We're to take hold of eternal life. And in the power and the privilege of eternal life, we're to advance the gospel. And so a servant of God will serve well when he assumes this posture of fighting the good fight for the advance of the faith. Now the Apostle sums it up to Timothy and to us by saying, 
I charge you, keep the commandment. Now, what does he mean by the commandment? Well, the best answer seems to be all that what he's just talked about. He sort of lumps it all together and he says, Timothy, keep it. Keep this commandment without stain, without reproach. That is, Timothy, keep it so that your record of life in the world will be unblemished. So that your reputation will be untarnished when you get to heaven. Keep the commandment. Flee, follow, fight. Timothy, be serious about it. Now what is it that's going to keep Timothy motivated to do it? What's going to keep us motivated to do what he tells us to do? Well, he goes on to tell him that it's the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That which will keep us motivated is what the future holds. And what the future holds is the coming of Jesus Christ. Boy, it's hard to remember that living in an affluent America. Where the millennium has already come. If we value things. Where we have so much. Where we don't want Jesus to come and interrupt our comfortable lives. It's hard to remember that the future holds the coming of Jesus Christ. But Paul says to Timothy, it does, and don't forget it. This Jesus Christ, he says, is the one who testified before Pilate. What an encouraging example Jesus was in testifying before Pilate. Let me ask you something. Did he show righteousness and personal integrity? Oh, yes, he did. When Jesus testified before Pilate, was his father in control of his will? Absolutely. The night before he had prayed, not my will, but yours be done. When he testified before Pilate, was he relying upon God's promises, his father's word? Yes. When he stood before Pilate, did he manifest love? Absolutely. That's what it was all about. He loved us and gave himself for us. When he stood before Pilate, was he steadfast under pressure? Did he persevere? Yes. And such intense pressure as we will never know. When Jesus stood before Pilate, was he gentle? Did he evidence power that was under control completely? You see, all that we are to follow after is what Jesus showed in his trial before Pilate. This Jesus who is coming again. He's the one who now reigns on a throne of omnipotence. He possesses life. He is immortal. What that means is that he is not subject to death. That is intrinsic to him. It is not intrinsic to us. In fact, we are very mortal. 
Only when Christ comes again will we receive our immortal bodies. These bodies are subject to death. He is not. He is the source of life. He possesses immortality. He dwells in light, representing his holiness here. He is invisible to the human eye in his essential spiritual nature. He does manifest himself to us in Jesus Christ, but his essential nature cannot be seen by human eyes. This is Jesus Christ. He's the one who will yet appear, says Paul. His manifestation is coming. The time when he will disclose himself to us. And that will be at the right time, at the proper time, the appropriate time. And it's coming soon. It could happen at any moment. That's why you and I will serve God well when we remember that truth. Because if Jesus is coming at any moment, we want to be found faithful when he comes. One day there was a traveler in Switzerland who had discovered a beautiful but secluded estate located on the shores of a tranquil, beautiful lake. He knocked at the garden gate and there he was met by the aged caretaker who asked him to come in. The guardian seemed very glad to see someone, anyone. And so the tourist asked, how long have you been here? And the man replied, well, a very, very long time. And how often has the owner of this estate returned? Just four times, said the man. When was he here last? The tourist asked. The man replied, many years ago. I'm almost always alone. It's very seldom that even a stranger like you visits me. And yet, said the tourist, you have this garden in such perfect order, and everything is flourishing as if you were expecting your master tomorrow. Oh, no, sir, said the caretaker. I have fixed his gardens as if he were coming today. You see, it is that spirit, it is, it is the essence of that, when it captures our hearts, that Jesus is coming, perhaps today, that we will have what it takes in a world like we live in, with all of its allurements, all of its false religion, all of its money love. When that captures us, we'll have what it takes to flee ungodly motives, to follow after godly traits like Jesus showed before Pilate, and to fight the good fight, and to see that the gospel of Christ is advanced at every cost, in every place. Let's pray. When Jesus comes, our service will then be finished. When Jesus comes, our service will be examined. When Jesus comes, our service will be rewarded. Oh, men and women of God, listen. Flee 
there's a time to run. Follow. There are things to pursue and fight. There is a time to fight the good fight of faith, and it's now. Father, write this message, I pray, deep within our hearts. And may every one of us who knows Jesus Christ personally, who names his name, who calls himself a Christian, may we live like it. May we live like it, even in a world like ours. Let's sing together. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified today. Let us stand together, please. And now, Lord Jesus, you, the one who is immortal, the one who is holy, into whose presence no man in his flesh may come. You, the manifestation of the invisible God, in your name we commit ourselves to be your people. In your name we pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that whatever our circumstances, however we have come in this morning feeling about life, may we go out from here understanding who we are, what our job is, what you want of us, and determined in our heart to be men and women of God, your faithful servants. Amen.